You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Holiday, welcome into the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. You can always tell when we record shows in the morning because I, uh, my voice is like ah, it's all squirrely and weird and annoying, even more so than usual. Uh, and we and we say hi. My name is Tyler Bond. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. What's going on, dude? Hey, yeah, no, it's funny because I feel like most shows when they say like you can tell this is the morning, it's because everybody's kind of low energy and not really with it yet. For us, it's just like no, we've had our coffee. This is when we are tell, at our best. I'm still drinking mine out of this uh, little smiley face mug guy that I got uh, from a, a buddy of mine who lives in Denmark. Um, yeah, it's I'm still it's 10, 10 a.m. I'm still working my way through like an entire pot of coffee. That's what I do on a daily basis. Well, you guys got us at a good time whenever you got us. Yeah, you could be listening to us at 9 p.m. for all we know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we welcome you into the show. We're both in different surroundings today. I'm back in the little recording studio that I uh, built out in my in my house, which has been used to just like store garbage over the not literal garbage, but just like junk over the last few months. And I was looking at it the other day, and I was like, why did I make that thing if I'm not going to use it? So I cleared it out, and now all of the junk is just sitting on the floor in the office. So that's nice. Uh, Sam is at home in his uh, in his apartment. I got to ask, what's going on with this blind over your left shoulder? See, I took off my background. Normally, like for professional Zoom meetings, I put on a background because I'm like, I don't need people seeing my apartment, my my small studio apartment in Brooklyn. And I'm like, you know what? I can trust Tyler. Uh, Tyler's not going to judge me. It's great. It's fine. Maybe somebody just outed you. And now you're just like, what is wrong with your blind? Yes, my blind is broken. I don't know what's what's wrong with it. If, I'm sure if I moved it down, it would appear less broken. It's like but. one side is pulled up, the other side's down. I've got a blind in my kitchen that is very frustratingly that way too. But I had to, I had to call you out on it. I yeah, I, I opened myself up to it. At least you're not like. <laughs> What is that small bowl for? Or why do you have so much Reynolds wrap? I don't know. What's going on? You do have a lot of Reynolds wrap on the counter behind you. That is I, a lot there's of very wrap. little in the one that's open. Ah, okay. So that's, that's just, the... it's, it's one and a replacement one. Exactly. exactly. Okay. Understandable. All right. I get it. Um, this podcast is not sponsored by the good folks at Reynolds Wrap, unfortunately. Aluminum uh, foil. There is aluminum foil over my right. <laughs> For all of your conspiracy theory hat needs. Um, when do we switch from tin foil to aluminum foil? Like, I feel like my whole life it's been aluminum foil, but people use the term tin foil. I remember being in middle school and finding out that on the periodic table of elements, that yeah. aluminum and tin were very different things. They're yeah, different very different elements. Things. So yeah. it was just like they were interchangeable in my mind right. because they, they both brought us foil. Right. So I don't know. I don't know when we as a society. Yeah, I'm sure there's that like New York Times culture map. Yeah. That's true. That is like true. Certain parts of the country call it certain aluminum foil, other places. And other parts call it tin. That is true. That's a very good point, actually. Uh, now we're going to need to investigate that. We were talking before the show started about how we uh, are very good at going off the rails on uh, the show <laughs> before the show podcast. And so far, we've discussed blinds, aluminum versus tin foil, and uh, how much coffee we need to get every day started. And uh, this is ostensibly a minor league baseball podcast. So uh, we're going to attempt to discuss some of that as it is our final uh, regular-ish 
edition of the show before the show here in 2021 we're going to have an episode next week a very special episode next week um with the creator and the uh creative genius mind behind ghosts of the miners josh jackson and uh but this is our uh kind of our final episode uh at least for the two of us it's our final episode in this calendar year and so we're going to look back on the year that was in 2021 in minor league baseball which was certainly a very unique year to say the least yeah yeah i mean when we were uh, sending each other show notes on what we wanted to do this week, um, I was trying to think of like 10 things that how are we going to remember the minor league season? And I think number one with a bullet just has to be, there was a minor league season. There were things that actually yeah. talk about this year on the field. Um, you know, so much of what we talked about this year were in terms of promotions and um, what individual teams were doing, but we had a full season to talk about. It started a little later than we, we may have liked or, had been previously used to. It started in May. You might recall that we originally thought AAA was going to start in April. Right. That didn't happen. You know, what's funny um, is like, I don't even remember that now. I mean, I do remember yeah. it thinking about it, but when I think back on the season, I don't even think about like, all oh, right, it was a month delayed. Right. Right. Like when we first found out minor league baseball is going to come back, we found out it was May. And then we were like, actually AAA is going to start in April because they wanted to be parallel with the major league season. But now it just made so much sense of, like it, it seemed like there was always going to be a minor league opening day that was all together uh, in early May. Um, but we still have to kind of look back on that and remember that. I mean, it, it feels so matter of fact now. Um, but uh, earlier today, I was thinking about our show in 2020 where we got everybody on the MILB.com staff thoughts and uh, memories of like why you love minor league baseball, because it was like a dark day when the minor league season got canceled last year. That didn't happen this year, thankfully. Um, so that's that's kind of the frame we need to look at through the rest of this show. And as we reflect back on 2021, there was a season and that was such a huge deal in, in and of itself. Yeah. And it's funny, like thinking back on that episode in 2020, that was like a that was a rough, dark kind of uh, moment for I think for all of us. Um, but, you know, I certainly know it was for me. Um, and just thinking about you know, all of the uncertainty at that point of um, what it meant for minor league baseball as a whole, uh, obviously the, the 2020 season being washed out completely. You think about all of the prospects who played their last game in 2019 and had no idea that that was going to be their last game in professional baseball. Um, that was a tough one. And when 2021 came around, there was so much optimism at the start of the year. And then, yeah, we kind of got pushed into, into that weirdness with the, the late start to the season. And, um, but we made it through and made it through with largely, um, I would say minimal, um, scheduling issues and, and virus issues and all that type of stuff, um, through minor league rosters. Now, obviously we're living in a much different, uh, reality here in December of 2021 than we were in say June of 2021. Um, but thankfully, uh, we made it through a, a full minor league season. And so, um, that's where we're going to kick this thing off. I mean, when you think about the return of the minor leagues this year, even just from a baseball standpoint, Sam, the, the fact that, you know, so many players had, an entire season of development uh, taken away in 2020 with the loss of the season due to the virus. Um, the, the return this year meant so much to so many, but for baseball players, it really meant like, Oh, I can get back to doing the thing that I love and the thing that I've been pursuing my entire life. And that was a, a huge moment. Yeah. I mean, we can't really can't overlook just getting to play every day, what it means for development. Um, I know a lot of it is tied into now into technology. 
And, you know, like, what are you able to register for an exit velocity? What are you able to register for a spin rate? And we met, register so much of that. In an interview uh, last year, a couple of years ago, that he learns pitch tracking uh, or learned pitch tracking based on playing MLB the show during the lot or during the, uh, the loss of the season of the pandemic. I think there have been people who've done that. Yeah. I, there, we had an interview where somebody pointed it out specifically, and I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was like Justin Foscue. Yeah, it might have been. Actually, that does sound right. Justin Foscue is a Texas Rangers. I think that was, I think it was Justin Foscue. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> that was during uh the you know the absence of the 2020 season. And I was like, well, I guess I'm I'm doing the same offseason work as as top prospects. This is fantastic for me. I mean, if that's true, then my pitch selection is probably 30, like even on the show in which a ball's not actively yeah, spinning my way. I'm still worse bad. than that. Mine's, yeah. mine's terrible. It's like, oh, this is a pitch out. And I swung and spun myself into the dirt on the show. That's <laughs> but great. my timing was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really, it means so much more to be able to play six days a week as they did this year. And we'll get into that change here in a little bit, but uh, just being able to measure yourself up against other players, not just sending stuff back to your organization saying, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm working on. Here's some video, being able to get those real results in real time, um, not having to rely on alternate training reports, not having to rely on instructs, uh, playing against your own kind. You're getting to see new faces all the time. Um, that was so huge for these guys. And, and we saw several guys kind of break out this year and do some different things. Um, I think about like Gabriel Moreno, of the Toronto Blue Jays system, who is now one of the top 50 prospects in baseball, uh, but did so because he was really, really good at double-A New Hampshire. And it wasn't just, hey, we've heard he's starting to do better. He really showed that. He was slugging above 600, um, you know, showing better power, showing good defensive skills as well. Now he's one of the best catching prospects in baseball. Um, I cover the Rays and the Brewers a lot for MLB Pipeline. So Curtis Mead, an Australian native who hit above 300 in the Tampa Bay Rays system, kind of became a household name. Joey Weimer in the Milwaukee Brewers system, um, somebody who last time we saw him was somebody had a wild swing and good raw power in college, but wasn't really showing that in games. Now he showed that in games this year. All of that wouldn't have happened unless we had actually gotten to see games. And it, it was a thrill to finally get it back and be able to talk about real-time results and not just reports that we're hearing behind the scenes. There was obviously a substantial change to minor league baseball uh, coming out of 2020 and going into 2021, and that is the reduction of the minor league slate to 120 full season teams. The short season leagues uh, spun off some of them partner leagues in an independent uh, manner, some of them collegiate summer leagues now, uh, the MLB draft league, of course. Uh, But the 120 teams in the full season um, structure to minor league baseball certainly is a lot more straightforward. I think we can definitely all agree on that. Um, and it did not come without its its growing pains and its difficulties, especially for the franchises that are, uh, you know, no longer directly affiliated in a player development context. But um, overall, I feel like there were a lot of streamlined, um, clear steps that this showed uh, minor league baseball was able to take in 2021. Uh, now that we've got a full season of 120 teams and the new league structure and all of that, um, what were your biggest takeaways from that this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's still just going to be a process to, to learn all that kind of stuff. And, and we're not going to know what the effects of, you know, going straight from the FCL and the ACL to low A, what those are going to be for, for probably years to come. Um, I didn't see too many hiccups in that way of guys getting promoted and, uh, you know, not 
being able to handle the low A level. Um, I think play at low A this year was actually a little bit lower because guys were getting pushed away from the complex earlier than normal. But that also just requires us to kind of recalibrate our thought process on what that level is and can be. Um, so this was just kind of one year in what's going to be a multi-year data set. Um, how is this going to affect development going forward? I mean, you know, the loss of teams is unfortunate for communities. Like you said, Tyler, it's also unfortunate because it's fewer jobs for players. Um, so, you know, are, what is that going to mean going forward? We're going to have to learn more and, and see how play changes at low A and the complex levels uh, in the years ahead. But in terms of it being streamlined and you know exactly where everybody's going and where they're going to be from there, um, that part was easier to follow. Uh, and I think that, you know, at the fact that all these teams now among the 120 know that they are entrenched for years to come. We're not going to be playing this affiliate, uh, you know, game and everybody moving around chairs and all that kind of stuff in two years time. It's going to take five, 10 years. And some of these places sign deals longer than that. Um, so having those teams fir firmly entrenched, I think, was made everybody able to you know, breathe a sigh of relief, um, know that we're not doing this again soon and able made them able to plan for the long term. And that's why we're seeing investments in stadiums and, and in communities by MLB and minor league. Let's dive into some of the granular elements with the minor league season 2021. We had so many changes uh, across the board in terms of some rule trials, uh, new scheduling format, all of that. Let's start with the scheduling format. Six games uh, per week for each team. Everybody had Mondays off except for AAA West, which had Wednesdays off. Uh, the the six-game series structure seems like it was pretty well received across the board. Uh, I think it's very strange for baseball purists to look at week-long series, um, but I know that there were a lot of, of players and player development people uh, and front office staff members and all that who really liked it. Uh, what did you hear from people, and what are your thoughts on it now that we saw a full season of it? Yeah, I think it just it, it took some adjustment, but what we heard is you know limited travel, which is, was definitely necessary for 2021. Um, when you're battling the virus. Um, but again, just allowing everybody to feel a little bit comfortable for a while, knowing you're going to be in the same place for six days, knowing that there's going to be an off day on Monday or Wednesday uh, in AAA West, which next year I, I believe is, is going to move to that Monday off day as well. Um, so everybody's going to have Monday off. But knowing that that's going to be there, that that's baked in, that you can kind of plan out around that, not only as a team and, and as an organization, but almost as a human being, you know exactly when the off day is going to be. Uh, it's just a huge lift to all involved. Uh, and knowing that, you know, Monday could be a travel day or it could be an off day completely depending on how you want to handle it. It just seemed to work pretty well. The big question we all had, and Tyler, I remember we, we talked about this in the spring when the schedules were coming out, was is it going to get stale that two teams are going to be playing each other six times a week? Um, you see each other on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay, that's usually a normal series. Wait, we still have to see you three more times. What is that going to mean? Is Are things going to get testy if you see the same guys over and over again? Uh, what happens if a pitcher faces a team twice in a week? How do we make that into the results? It didn't seem like that was a major issue. Uh, everybody I talked to was like, it, it, it didn't become a huge thing. It maybe became a little boring by the end, uh, especially if you're an announcer and you have to talk about something on the other team. Uh, for six times a week, you have to really dig deep into research. But in terms of things getting stale, in terms of uh, teams wanting to fight at the end of the week because of something that happened on Tuesday, 
we didn't see a whole lot of that. And I think that's a big reason why the structure is coming back again next year, a to, to limit travel again, because we are still in the middle of the pandemic uh, and also to save a little bit of money, but also because this kind of worked and um, there wasn't a huge reason why to move away from it after it was fairly successful in 2021. We did see some uh, test sites for new things across baseball in the minor leagues this year. And we're going to talk about some of those low a West used a pitch clock in 2021. There was an automatic ball strike system in the low a Southeast league, uh, some larger bases uh, in a couple of minor leagues and some spiked stolen base numbers in low a and high a um, those three things. I know I'm talking with some people who worked in low a West, the pitch clock was wildly successful in shortening game times, uh, almost to the point where I know broadcasters felt like, man, I don't even really feel like I get into the flow of a game and we're already like in the seventh, eighth inning, um, which, you know, we've heard so much about pace of play and all of that over the last decade, probably now in baseball. Uh, and we have seen the pitch clock used in the Arizona fall league and elsewhere. Um, that's one topic. Uh, the automatic ball strike system obviously has been hotly d- discussed and debated in recent years as well. Uh, some of these rule experimentations, if you will, Sam, the, the biggest things that you learn from those uh, and do you see expansions of those going forward? Well, the pitch clock, definitely. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. you said, the fact that it started in low A West this year with the 15 second pitch clock and it expanded to the Arizona Fall League, which is always a testing ground for these types of rules. Uh, and the AFL, of course, pretty much rules from every level of the Meyer leagues was all used on one field this year uh, down in the AFL, but everybody I talked to kind of after the season was over. And if you'll remember, I talked about this in the early days of the AFL, it was kind of touch and go. It, it was a lot more violations were being called and, and you need to call those violations in order to enforce the rules. I mean, there's no point in having a pitch clock if, if, you know, guys are going to take 18, 19 seconds and you're not going to call them on it. Um, so that went both ways and it was kind of sticky there at the beginning, but it seemed to really work in the AFL. And if you look at what low a West, the actual numbers uh, in 2019, what was then called the California league, the average nine inning game went three hours and three minutes this year, that was down to two hours and 43 minutes. Uh, as far as I can tell, it was the only minor league that had an average game time below two hours and 50 minutes. And it was seven minutes below that. So it certainly worked here now. And I remember they brought the pitch clock to AAA a couple of years ago. That cut down on game time there, but it slowly crept back up. So now we have this low mark, this low water mark. Are things going to go back up again at low A West next year? We'll have to keep an eye on that. Because a big reason why games last longer now are hitters are more selective. They're told to take more pitches. That lengthens at bats, which lengthens games. Etc. But still, the fact that this took a 20-minute chunk off the average game is noticeable, and that's huge. And you're going to want to test that more often, and I'm sure that's going to come in 2022. So that's that's the big one that I see. Uh, you mentioned stolen bases being up at high A and low A. Uh, you know, you kind of look at the data there. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The top nine teams in minor league baseball and stolen bases were either at the low A or high A level. Uh, number 10 was double A Somerset. And then we get another good chunk of low A and high A teams were just willing to run rough shot. Uh, it certainly created more movement on the base pass, which seems like a more entertaining product, uh, but it didn't really do much in terms of like, I don't know. No, nobody I really talked to was like, Oh, the game's so much more exciting. Now there's so much more movement. It seems like it should, but it didn't really have that effect. I don't think. So we'll see if, if those expansion of, 
uh, stolen base rules and pickoff rules and uh, all that, if that's going to stick, I feel like that's less likely, but the pitch clock for sure is something that I, I think we're going to expect moving forward. Sometimes you have to hit the unmute button when you want to talk on a podcast. I don't know if you're aware of that, Sam. Um, <laughs> we saw uh, a, a nearly unprecedented run by the Tampa Bay Rays and their dominance in minor league baseball this year with affiliates across the board, reaching the postseason, reaching their league championship series, winning league titles, all of that. Um, we also saw from the individual prospect standpoint, the ascendance of the Baltimore Orioles, who uh, a fan base that has been long starved now for um, not just a team that can win but really a team that can compete in the American League East the O's are loaded and we know how loaded that system is it is now the top ranked minor league system uh in baseball according to MLB pipeline um those two franchises AL East teams that you know 10-15 years ago we talked about two AL East teams largely in the Yankees and Red Sox now that conversation has been joined by everybody else in that division the Blue Jays have been interesting for the last several years uh their rebuild obviously so largely around homegrown talents and, um, you know, Boba Shed and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and all those guys coming up. The O's are on that track. The Rays have been on that track, obviously, for the last couple of decades. Um, but those two teams specifically, Baltimore and Tampa Bay, uh, for, for the Rays, is just such an embarrassment of riches year after year. For the Orioles, this is a good thing. This is a very necessary and needed thing for that franchise and for that fan base. Yeah, just to, to start with the Rays real quick. Because we talked about this a ton, especially around Milby's time, um, when multiple of their teams were nominated for best team. We didn't do a top farm system Milby's this year, but you can pretty much rest assured that the Rays would have taken that. And we knew that they had the top farm system in baseball coming in. We always talked about their depth and the fact that they had the number one overall prospect in baseball was since graduated. But the fact that they were winning at every level, their AAA team won the Triple A championship. Uh, for all intents and purposes, it won. It had the best record in AAA during the season, and it had it won the AAA final stretch. Its AA team came within one win of it winning its uh, championship. High A, Low A won their championships. The FCL team won their championships. It was insane. Uh, just the run of success that the Tampa Bay Rays had this year at every level. Um, it it's. I want to say it was unprecedented. I certainly can't remember it. That when I wrote the Rays organization All-Stars the other day, I said this was the best minor league season by an organization in recent memory. I've been doing this job since 2012. Tyler, I don't know if you can remember a team just going on a run like this. It was insane. No, certainly, certainly not the way this organization did this year. Yeah, and it wasn't just the top prospects performing. I mean, you look at like the list of their organization All-Stars, which is on MLB.com. Now you'll see guys like Jordan Kassar and, and Brett Wisely and um, Renee Pinto, who I don't think many people knew coming into the year, uh, alongside a Greg Jones and a Josh Lowe and a Taj Bradley, who were bona fide prospects coming into the season. So the Tampa Bay Rays were as deep as we expected, but they really blew everyone out of the water. And, you know, I, that's it's definitely one way I'm going to remember the season. It's just the, the way the Rays dominated from top to bottom. Uh, you brought up the Baltimore Orioles as well. Uh, it's crazy to think about right now that the Orioles have the best prospect in baseball in Adley Rutschman and the best pitching prospect in baseball in Grayson Rodriguez. And they're going to be on the same team next year. They're both going to be on AAA Norfolk unless Rutschman can crack the majors out of the spring, which is certainly possible. Um, it's also possible with Rodriguez, although I think a little bit less likely. But, yeah, it and they go beyond those two, obviously. They, they've had some recently high draft, draft picks uh, to help build out that system. But the, the Orioles are getting to a place now where 
expectations need to be set on the major league team to compete. It's great that they have the number one system in baseball. Uh, the Rays just had the number one system in baseball. And last year they were in the world series and this year they won an AL East title and, and went to the playoffs again. Uh, you need to start churning that minor league talent into major league talent and supplementing it in other ways. Um, it, we've had a very brief offseason right now. It's, we are in the middle of a work stop, which it's not like the Orioles can go out and sign anybody right now, nor do I expect them to be big players on the market when things resume. But it's getting to the point where Adley Rutschman is going to be here soon. Grayson Rodriguez is going to be here soon. D.L. Hall, when healthy, is going to be helping that major league club. Um, you got to hope that the Orioles are going to invest around those guys and build something around them because they can be the core. They can't be everything. Um, so it's exciting that the Orioles are here now. Now they need to take those next steps. And I fully hope that happens within the first couple months of 2022 or the 2022-2023 offseason because exciting times are ahead, but they need to do more than just develop minor league talent to make that happen. And uh, some very impressive individual performances in 2021, which, you know, sounds like, oh, well, that's an obvious thing to say about a full minor league season. But really, you know, for 2021, for all the challenges, for the delayed schedule, for travel restrictions, for all of it, um, for guys to be able to do what some top prospects did in 2021 is extra impressive. We saw uh, a minor league home run chase between NJ Melendez and Griffin Conine that went down to the final days of the regular season. Bobby Wood Jr. of the Kansas City Royals organization, his pursuit of a 30-30 camp. Campaign. There is something that feels different about guys who had success in 2021 because there was so much staring you in the face. There were so many difficulties staring you in the face this season. Uh, and for guys to go out and put together career years, it's pretty damn cool in a year in which everything was challenging. Those guys stand out. Um, tell us a little bit about you know what you uh, took away from those individual pursuits and who else this year really kind of put themselves on the map or extended their uh, their credence as a top prospect. Yeah, I mean, one thing we did talk about earlier was this, the, the lost year, and I put lost in, in scare quotes, of 2020 and what that meant and how disappointing that was. But we talked to a few guys who were like, hey, listen, putting pause on everything and fo forcing me to focus on this aspect of my game was huge for certain guys. They, they kind of needed that. MJ Melendez is a perfect example of that. Last time we saw the guy was hitting about a buck sixty at high a Wilmington. And I think he had nine homers over a full season. This was not a small sample. He was not a good offensive player two years ago uh, in ways that I think were disappointing to both himself and the Royals. So he worked the last year on kind of toning down his high leg kick, trying to get in a good position to hit and make contact because he had the raw power. He just needed to, you know, do better pitch selection, make sure he wasn't swinging wildly always at the plate. And you saw the results this year. He led the minor leagues in home runs with 40 plus homers. Uh, he was right there with Griffin Conine, who was a great story because uh, MJ Melendez's dad and Griffin Conine's dad both worked together on a college staff. That, that was kind of funny. And we'll have to circle back with those guys because I think Melendez said they were definitely going to be working out this offseason together. Um, so you know that Melendez is chirping Conine a little bit right now. But that was so fun to follow. Um, just because of how close it was. And maybe it was a little unfair because Melendez got to play in the AAA final stretch and pad his numbers a little bit, but it was definitely closer than the final uh, tally looked there at the end. And you also mentioned, you know, Bobby Wood Jr., uh, his pursuit of 30-30. Sounds like it could be commonplace, but really isn't in the minor leagues. We had 16 20-20 guys this year, no 30-30 guys. And 
if you want to look back at Bobby Wood Jr., uh, it, it's funny how I'm going to remember the season. It's I'm going to remember him as arguably the best power speed combo in the game right now. Um, I think he has a legitimate claim to be the number one overall prospect right there with Adley Rutschman and Julio Rodriguez. But I'm also just going to remember the things that didn't happen. Tyler, you wrote the story about the homer that wasn't. Uh, that was the the thing that I was going to say is like, hey, you would have had one additional homer had he touched home plate. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which was right. one of the weirdest stories that I wrote in 2020. Bobby Wood Jr. has, uh, if you missed this earlier on in the season, Bobby Wood Jr. kind of has a shuffle uh, that he does across home plate when he hits a home run. And there was a game when he was at AA Northwest Arkansas against Frisco, I believe, uh, in which he shuffled across home plate. Um, there are some uh, some different angles that make you think, okay, I think he got the plate. He kind of swept his foot across the top of the plate. Did a spike brush the surface of the plate? I don't know. Uh, it's like viewing Bigfoot footage. You know, you can make of the footage what you want. Uh, even It got the attention of Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, tweeted about it and was like, what am I missing here? How did this guy get called out uh, upon an appeal uh, on this ruling that he did not touch home plate? Um, yeah, he could add uh, could add one additional in this year. That was probably the uh, the weirdest one uh, that I wrote this season, and it was probably the strangest moment of Bobby Wood Jr.'s, uh, certainly of his professional baseball life. I wonder how much of his baseball life uh, was weird in that context. He didn't need the extra homer. He finished with thirty three for the year, so he got to that point in the thirty thirty pursuit. He only needed one more stolen base to make it to thirty thirty, as noted. But um, you know, I'm I'm sure he would have gladly taken home run number. 34 this season and that was a weird one well so so sticking with that theme that that's what i was going to say next is like he needed the one extra steal and he had it right it was taken away because he, right? he stole the base we are all celebrating it that's great like we cut the highlight we were sharing it on social media blowing it out as we should and then the game was canceled to rain right? all stats are wiped out right so he had one homer and one stolen base taken away uh, in his pursuit of 30-30. Uh, what a very strange, strange little footnote. Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be a longtime big leaguer. There was talk of him making the major league roster out of spring training last year. Like, that's how talented Bobby Wood Jr. was. Uh, and that was before his 21st birthday. He didn't turn 21 until June 14th of last year. So, like, we're going to be watching Bobby Wood Jr. for a very, very long time, uh, starring in the major leagues. But that's going to go down as, like, a strange footnote to like remember his, his last full minor league season when he lost a homer because he maybe didn't step on home plate and he lost the stolen base in pursuit of 30 30 because the game got rained out uh just like those weird and funky footnotes that seem to only come along in baseball yeah and and we're joking about this stuff but like really go to milb.com and check out his highlights as well yeah. like there are going to be some close to 500 foot homers absolutely he hit one 500 foot plus i think was a 481 um in the spring, like everything about him is real. That's why we kind of joke about this now. It's just because all of all the things he did, which were crazy and the talk of the minor league baseball world, uh, still those two that didn't technically happen stick in my car. And that's, what's kind of funny because he's so good that you kind of have to like needle the things that didn't go right because everything right. else was so brilliant about Bobby Jr. season that it's like, yeah, but how about that one time when he missed out on the homer? How about that stolen base that got taken away because his season was so ridiculous. He's fun, man, and he's a fun guy to talk to. Um, he is a very easy player to cheer for. That's one thing that I really like about um, 
our roles getting to cover prospects when they uh, when they are growing up in baseball. Um, I've been doing this job now in this capacity since 2014. I can remember maybe one or two guys who I was like, oh, well, that wasn't a real good interview. That wasn't a, a guy who was super friendly. Uh, and that's in eight years now of doing this mm-hmm. job. Um, it's so cool. And, you know, there's a reason why there's a term big leaguing. When guys get to the major leagues, things change in your life. Uh, you know, you're being pulled in a million different directions and media availability isn't necessarily your favorite thing and all of that. But for prospects growing up, it's so cool to get a chance to talk to all of these players as they are coming up in systems, you know, we had Adley Rushman on the show last year. Uh, just so much fun for us to talk to. So much fun to kind of just get to, you know, uh, shoot the breeze with during a, a time when uh, he's a little bit under the radar um, in terms of the comparison of what he will be when he reaches Baltimore. Obviously, there's so much focus on him as a prospect, but comparatively to what you're going to get when you finally hit the big leagues, you know, talking with the top prospect in baseball is very cool. Julio Rodriguez, the amount of times we've gotten a chance to talk with Julio. uh, He's one of the most lovable dudes on earth. Spencer Torkelson, Great guy to talk to this year. Bobby Witt, we talked about a moment ago. Um, It's just really neat getting a chance to interact with these guys when they are still making that climb. Um, And it's it's even cooler. And Sam, I know you've had this experience too, but when you do run into them at a big league ballpark and get a chance to say like, hey man, yeah, we, we talked one time about, you told me this funny story about whatever. And when they remember that, uh, and you get to call them back to the days when they were still plugging along in the minors and trying to make it happen for themselves. Um, it's always really cool to see players' reactions in that moment of like, man, look at how far I've come. Yeah. Um, we're really lucky to get a chance to, to talk to these guys at these moments in their careers. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I had something similar to that happen in the AFL um, with Justin Plosky, who was on the show. He was? Um, talking yeah, about I, I talked show? to him then. Right. I talked to him then. I talked to him in the middle of the season when he was on a killer home, homer streak for Hickory. And uh, I was like, how are things going since then? And I kind of, before he answered, I was like, well, I know they're not as good as they were then when we're hitting like homers in seven games in a row, but how are things generally? He's like, oh, no, no, they're good. They're good. It's good seeing you again. Um, and yeah, the, the avenues that we have to talk to these guys, uh, you always have to catch yourself too, is that minor league coverage has exploded in the last couple of years and that's great. And there's so many avenues to follow these guys and, and hear from them. But think about like 20 years ago, a guy would come up and you'd just yeah. be like, Oh yeah. You know, I growing up in, in Massachusetts, the Red Sox would call up a guy from Pawtucket and be like, Oh, who is this guy? Right. No who is this who dude? Is. Yeah. 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 Now all of a sudden you're knowing guys at almost every step of their career from yep. draft day or signing day to when they finally make that debut and to be part of that journey with them and to follow that along with them and get them at a point before their eyes get too big. And before they're, they're, uh, you know, driven a little mad by the process is so fun and, and so great. And, uh, one of my favorite parts of this job. Could not agree more. Um, so with that, uh, that's our reflection on this 2021 minor league campaign, but we do have an interview for you this week on the show before the show podcast, the senior vice president of the Spokane Indians, Otto Klein will join the show. Sam tee this up for us. It's actually an interview that goes back uh, to the winter meetings a few weeks ago. Um, but tell us what we got coming up with Otto Klein. Yeah. So Kelsey Hennigan was down at the minor league winter meetings in Orlando, Florida. Uh, the Spokane Indians, ended up winning organization of the year. Um, So Kelsey wanted to snag an interview with somebody from Spokane about that. So she got Otto Klein uh, and she was able to send us the interview. And now we are bringing it to you. Feel like it's a good way to kind of wrap up the season with again, the team that was named the organization of the year. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, I am here with Spokane Senior Vice President Otto Klein. How's it going, Otto? Good, very well, thank you. Yeah, so uh, how are your winter meetings going? You know, the winter meetings are fun this time. Um, it's get, it's great to get everybody back together. Uh, it's been a long time since we've seen a lot of our league partners and national partners and friends in baseball and everything else. So, um, you know, it's different because the major leagues uh, aren't here, but the minor league baseball is here. We're a strong community and it's uh, fun to get everybody together. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now you're here for an especially exciting reason that you won Organization of the Year, the Spokane Indians did. Uh, what does that recognition feel like? You know, it was a surprise for sure, uh, but Spokane Indians baseball has been in, uh, you know, our community for over 120 years. And so just in general to receive the award, um, you know, it's a special honor. And, and now knowing that there are 120 clubs and that we were one, a number one of 120 recognized for the year, uh, big honor, really grateful and um, excited that we could share that with our community, mm-hmm. excited that we could share that with our staff. Um, and that recognition, a lot of people have come up and, you know, say congratulations and that, that type of thing. And so definitely an honor um, to be receiving that award. Mm-hmm. I know this year you really focus on zero waste and trying to become a zero waste facility with composting and eliminating plastic cups. Um, why did you guys decide to do that? You know, it's one of the many projects and campaigns that we work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and really when we look back at the whole year, I guess, so we're reflecting um named organization of the year when we look back at the whole year it was one of the greatest years of achievement for us i think now if you were to say wow but you you your season your attendance was down 30 percent you you know we had COVID overlay we had all these different things you know how did you win this award or why were you recognized well it was really accumulation of many different things it was our staff it was our zero waste campaign Mm -hmm. that we um, were able to continue it was um, our partnership with the Spokane Tribe. It was launching a new campaign with uh, Operation Fly Together with our Air Force Base. You know, it was like accumulation of all these different things. Um, zero Waste certainly had one part of it. Um, we pledged uh, two years ago to become a zero waste facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really wanted to make strides to do that. And um, I think that when we look at our footprint of uh, where we are in, in Eastern Washington, and just our social responsibility to uh, be sustainable, um, that's what we felt like we needed to do. And so we've taken a lot of initiatives to reduce, uh, you know, increase our recycling, reduce uh, waste. And we're not there yet, mm-hmm. uh, but we're making strides. And um, it's, it's a fun project. It's hard. It mm-hmm. costs money uh, because we're purchasing products that, um, you know, are sustainable mm-hmm. as opposed to just purchasing them that could be wasted, you know, and plastics and different things. So it's a it's an undertaking, mm-hmm. um, but I would encourage all the clubs to do it. And I think that we have a social responsibility with our stadium and um, 
who we're named after with the Spokane Tribe of Indians mm -hmm. and just our, you know, we're very much about the environment. And we're, um, so this is just one piece of that. Yeah, you mentioned Operation Fly Together, which also won a golden bobblehead for community promo or event. Um, mm -hmm. What went into that? Really fun one. Mm -hmm. uh, another campaign for us that we launched this year. Uh, it was very historic because we approached our Air Force Base, which is called Fairchild Air Force Base, and it's about 10 miles outside of um, Spokane proper, if you will, uh, downtown. Uh, but it's a huge part of our community. The military base is a big part of our community. And so um, we thought of this idea and how can we um, really reach that segment of people and show the gratitude that we have for our service members. Uh, active duty service members and veterans in our community. And so we came up with the concept, uh, we talked to uh, the Fairchild Air Force Base, which then went to, um, you know, this concept is not just like a normal military night and armed services game. It was more than that. It was how do we get a deeper relationship with the Air Force Base? And um, we talked to them. Uh, we talked about this idea. They ran it all the way up to the Pentagon. Um, and so we got our official document saying that we could use the brand and likeness mm -hmm. uh, and use the Fairchild name in, in, the, in this concept. And that was really big. And so what we're doing is we're, uh, we have merchandise um, and uniforms and uh, we sell all these items in our team store. A portion of the proceeds goes into a separate fund and this fund um, is dedicated towards uh, giving back to veterans in our community mm -hmm. every year. And so we have money that we will raise for projects and then we can directly give it to veterans and that speaks loudly in our community. Yeah. Um, so we have a segment of the population, a mm -hmm. uh, large segment of the population in our region that are veterans mm -hmm. and we want them to know that we appreciate their service. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and then another Thing on that list of achievements you said uh, franchise record in sponsorship sales increase in online sales um, did you do anything different this year or what well our sponsorship sales uh, I think it was more gratefulness that uh, through the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, with the year that we lost in 2020 that our sponsors stayed with us you mm -hmm. know they understand and I think that's probably for most uh, minor league teams mm -hmm. it's your local um, partners will understand the concept because we're all in it together so um, but I think one of the most important things is um, our online sales with mobile ordering for concessions. Um, the COVID and losing the season and having the COVID overlay over the top of the season, you had to think differently. And like most clubs did, we went to digital tickets mm -hmm. and we also went to uh, mobile ordering, which we probably would not have done if it had been a normal season or we would have dabbled in it mm -hmm. and you know just used it for one segment of our tickets maybe it was just for season ticket holders or maybe it was just for this group or whatever mm -hmm. but we we had to jump in completely with um, mobile ordering and so fans any fan can um, use a, their cell phone which everyone has <laughs> to order food and it's not a new concept but it was new for us mm -hmm. and so digital tickets and uh, mobile ordering and some of these things are really important because it's um, also the perception of and it, it's it's less interaction and exchanging money and all these different things mm -hmm. and it really worked well for us yeah um, and then you also mentioned the Spokane Indians tribe um, mm -hmm. and I know that obviously Indians is a term that have been used and brought mm -hmm. up in conversation a lot in baseball with Cleveland changing their name but I know you have a collaborative relationship so great. what does that mean well we have a great relationship with our local tribe so um, I think the thing that is 
probably misunderstood when you talk about using team names and, and Native American identities and imagery is that we're named after a group of people. Mm -hmm. We use their name for our baseball team. So the word Indians is not a nickname. Mm -hmm. It is the name of the tribe. And we use their name for Spokane Indians um, are a group of Native Americans that were the first inhabitants in our area. Uh, we work collaboratively with them. We meet with tribal council twice a year. We talk about projects. We have branding efforts that we do together. We do the red band campaign together we did the zero waste campaign together with um, the identity for that um, we redid their baseball field up in um, their little town of Welpinette, washington had a little uh, baseball field and softball field that was not under total disrepair but was really needed a facelift and it was right in the center of town so our staff went up there and we redid the baseball field in partnership with uh, tribal members mm -hmm. and now it's a source of pride for them um, and we planted trees and we just made it nicer for um, the folks who, who use the field. So lots of different projects that we do with the tribe and we brand together. Um, we're really integrated. And so we want to be that model of how to work with a tribe um, because our team uses imagery and our name mm -hmm. to do it in a professional way and really lean into it as opposed to um, do it despairingly and, and not that other teams do but we just want to, our story is to feel uh like we're doing everything correctly and so we're very very proud to work with the tribe we're proud to use um the word indians mm -hmm. it is not a bad word uh for us and so um it's been a great project yeah both hearing you talk about that and then also the fly together project it seems like you really want the input of the people you're celebrating or talking about. Is that like a conscious effort you guys are making? It is because I think we have a moral compass as a professional baseball team to do things that have social responsibility in our, you know, we all do uh, hospital visits and we do certain things. Well, our pillars are really working with Native Americans. It's, uh, we have the heart of our city. We have a river, the Spokane River that runs right through it that everyone sees every single day. Mm -hmm. Well, the cleanliness of that river is important. So our Red Band campaign works. That's one of our pillars is to is to, um, you know, have the health and habitat of the Spokane River as clean as possible. Another pillar is veterans. Um, we want to honor our veterans through that campaign. So while we work with hundreds of nonprofits and charities and 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 believe in a lot of different things, our main pillars are working with veterans and working uh, for the cleanliness of the Spokane River and working um, with the tribe um, and our zero waste. So those are the things that we model mm -hmm. and uh, we're lucky that, and, and they're not going away. Mm -hmm. We're gonna keep doing this, they're all forever. And so I think that's one of the things too, this is just not a promotion. Mm -hmm. This is something that we believe in and we're gonna continue to raise money for all these different projects. Yeah, and that's great that you said that it's not just a promotion, it's not just one night that you yeah. wear a certain jersey. Um, you mentioned COVID, but also this year was different for you guys because your full season. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of challenges and also advantages did that bring? Well, a big jump for us. Uh, we were short season single A, so we used to go from June to September. Mm -hmm. And now we go from April to September and, and, and almost twice as many home games, um, almost tw twice as many games in general. You know, in a lot of markets and certainly where we are in eastern Washington and North Idaho uh, in a northern climate, April and May can be challenging with weather. And so mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest piece um, that we'll have to work with. But staffing, um, 
you know, there's there's definitely challenges and expenses and and different things. We're going to have so many more games. We're going to have so many more expenses mm-hmm. and things to do. So while all of those things are challenges, mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, we want to embrace being long season. We get to have better baseball. We were promoted to high A. Um, the brand and the style of baseball is just really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so we promote that a lot. Uh, we can tell the players that we receive are bigger, better, faster, mm-hmm. stronger. I mean, it's a really good product on the field. Mm-hmm. We want to celebrate that. Yeah. And while, yes, there are some challenges, mm-hmm. the opportunity to play more games is a positive. Mm-hmm. Now, will we have more rain delays and maybe some snow outs and whatever? Yeah, yeah that's fine. We'll play a doubleheader. I think that we can provide a high level of baseball in our community mm-hmm. and do it in the right way. And there's a lot of beautiful days in April and May also. So yeah. um, we're grateful for it. Uh, we're going to embrace it as opposed to worry about it. Yeah, well, that's fair. I mean, that's a lot of change that you have dealt with in just the past year, but you've been with Spokane for, what, 27 years? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. much have you seen the organization evolve during that time? Well, a lot. Um, you know, like most teams, um, you know, we had a smaller staff at one point and we had a smaller operation, but we've been able to see it grow. And that's what's fun is that, uh, and now we see a lot of people who have worked with us that work with other teams. And, um, but the, the growth and of our operation, I feel like we've done it the right way. And this is still, like every day is still the beginning. I, I really feel like, if you look back, I've, I've been with the organization, I think this is my 29th year, you know, Yes, we've grown a tremendous amount between the last 29 years, but I really feel like in my heart, the next 10 years are going to be the most special years. Um, We have more baseball, better brand of baseball. Mm -hmm. You know, we always look forward. We're very aggressive about Mm -hmm. looking forward. And I feel like these are going to be the best years moving forward with the quality of of the product we have and all the stadium improvements that are coming as well. Um, and as we now look toward 2022, especially during the winter meetings, what are you most looking forward to about next year? Well, I think every year for the next few years, we're going to have capital reinvestment into our facility. And, and it is required. Our facility needs a lot of upgrades. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are challenges that are fun. I mean, mm-hmm. we can, we'll create new spaces. We will um, handle uh, all the capital reinvestment that is required by the PDL. And it gives us an opportunity to have something to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in future years, we're going to add a new uh, video board, which we've never had. We're right. going to, you know, some of the basics mm-hmm. that I think other teams have, mm-hmm. um, we're going to be catching up on from, on the technology front. So uh, really looking forward to a full season of normal. Mm-hmm. No restrictions. Yeah. Um, let's all pray for that. <laughs> and, um, you know, ha- operating a full season with a normal schedule and normal promotions and and really seeing what that looks like. Um, Every facet of our business, whether it's sponsorships, tickets, concessions, merchandise, we have a plan and we have new things that we're gonna be introducing in each of those segments. And uh, I think the fans are gonna appreciate it. And I think, you know, it all drives um, fans coming to the stadium and and being a part of our product. And uh, we're excited to share that with them. Yeah, I'm excited for next season. Yeah. All right, is there anything else you wanna add? Um, No, I just, I think the award for being uh, recognized for the, um, you know, outstanding uh, achievement for our Operation Fly Together program and for, um, being recognized for um, the top team in minor league baseball really 
great honor. Um, happy to be a part of minor league baseball, and we're going to help all of us grow together. All right, great. Thank you. You bet. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. So huge thanks to Otto Klein for joining the show. Uh, Spokane is uh, an organization that I've admired for a very, very long time um, since well before I got into minor league baseball. I remember buying a Spokane Indians hat in 2006 when I read an article about how they had collaborated with the Spokane Indian tribe um, to design their logo, their Salish word mark, the, the written language uh, of the Spokane tribe, um, their connections with that uh, indigenous community and how they've incorporated them um, into the ballpark, into the, the franchise's fabric, uh, I think is just so cool. It's such a well-run organization. My lone bummer about the Spokane Indians is that a couple of years ago, I was in Spokane for work, uh, drove to uh, a Vista Stadium to try to snag a hat and it was right around the holidays and they were closed. And I was so bummed. And I tweeted about it and they tweeted back and said, oh, we're so sorry we missed you. But next time uh, you're in town, swing through. So next time I'm in Spokane, I'm uh, going to stop and buy a, probably a ton of hats. Uh, but between that and the and the Red Bands hat, uh, the, the cap that uh, has served as a conservation measure and a fundraising measure for the, the Red Band, uh, I believe it's a trout or a salmon. It's a fish that exists in the Spokane River, and they're trying to um, help it uh, survive. Um, they're just a, a very cool organization who uh, does a lot of really cool stuff. So big congrats to Spokane. And um, that's it. That's a wrap on 2021, yeah. sort of. Sort of. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm very jealous of the show you will be doing with Josh next week. Hey, man, you uh, can hop on. You know. But you probably got big-time holiday plans, um, which uh, you're headed home to Massachusetts, I would assume. I am headed the home Palma to Massachusetts. Palma, Mass. Palmer, Mass. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I, I will get to be a listener next week. Yeah, that's fun. As fun as anyone. Yeah. I get to be part of the listening community. To the any, show. any podcast that is heavy on Josh Jackson – I'm I'm all for. So I wanted to give Josh uh, a vehicle to uh, to give us the rundown on Ghosts of the Miners, um, which is one of the most creative and fun and cool things we've got to do on this show. And uh, so we're going to do that next week. And I know a lot of people. It's been really cool seeing the reaction to Ghosts of the Miners. We had somebody tweet at us a few weeks ago. Ghosts of the Miners is my favorite segment on any podcast I've ever listened to, uh, and that's just the coolest thing. And Josh deserves it because he is the coolest dude. And uh, so I'm really excited to get a chance to do that. He's also going to do it. It's not like a behind the scenes interview with Josh. It's going to be like Josh is doing it in his character from Ghosts of the Miners, like his old timey 1930s newsman. So I'm very excited for that. Uh, he said, we're going to need a lot of time to do this. And it's probably going to take a lot of edits for you. And I was like, Hey man, that's fine with me. I want to make it the best thing possible. Um, that'll make it even more fun, but yeah, I'm really excited for that. We're going to knock that out next week. I'm worried for two things. I'm worried for Josh's voice <laughs> stamina doing that the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like he's really putting on a voice, but right. he is like just the necessary uh, brain neurons that need to fire. Yeah. Always that's a good way to put it. 1950s. Yeah broadcast voice and also just for your editing 
Yeah, the editing is going to be a fun challenge to yeah. uh, to say the least. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for that. I'm also my favorite thing that Josh does uh, in Ghost of the Miners is when he's already in his character and then he reads a quote from an article from that time and he goes into a character that his character is doing. So he'll read an old timey news quote and it's like the ball club from the blah 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 blah, and it's like a secondary voice. It's just the greatest. It's the greatest, man. Um, so we're excited for that. Uh, but enjoy your holiday week, whatever you celebrate, wherever you're celebrating, whoever you're celebrating with. Uh, enjoy it. We're a day away from Festivus. I got to get the pole out of the crawl space. Uh, yeah, Tyler, I've got some problems that I've been meaning to bring up. With right, that right. Into, yeah. That's what we really should we'll do. save that for tomorrow. It's just an airing of grievances episode uh, where we just yell about things that have annoyed us about each other for the whole year. Um, <laughs> Our shortest episode ever, right? Right. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Um, But we're uh, we're so thrilled to get a chance to talk to you every week and to get to do this show with you. And uh, it's always such a joy for us uh, year after year. This is the seventh year of this podcast. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Didn't I do that last week? I counted on my hands how many years we've been doing this. Uh, Seven years of this podcast, um, which is, you know, when we started this, we didn't know what the the appetite or the market was going to be for it and the support that we get from people every week. I feel like this year, especially, I've heard from so many people that are like, man, I listen to the show before the show every week and you and Sam and Ben and Josh and Kelsey and everybody who comes on is so much fun and blah, blah, blah. That's been really, really cool. Um, And so we are forever tremendously indebted to all of you for uh, tuning into the show week after week for the last seven years or however long you've been with us. And um, that'll do it. Enjoy the holidays, man. Give your, yeah, you uh, your niece and nephew some good stuff. Oh, I, I'm not going to tell uh, on this podcast because they maybe because they listen. They listen yes. regularly. They're getting good stuff. They're getting good stuff for four-year-old. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. All right, everybody. For Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mon, and uh, enjoy your holidays. We'll talk to you in 2022, and tune in next week for our special edition with Josh Jackson. Um, and that's all. We'll talk to you then.